America is often described by the news media as being hopelessly divided between two opposing camps that despise each other. But not only is the reality among everyday citizens very different, in Washington itself, new attempts are being made to find common ground. One of the most promising initiatives is at the Bipartisan National Governors Association. During several meetings in Washington last week, Bruce and Eric learned more from some of the key players. Bruce Bond and Eric Olson are co-founders of Common Ground Committee. We hear from them now. Welcome to our take on Common Ground. Bruce and Eric, you went to Washington recently to meet with Spencer Cox. He's the Republican governor of Utah and the vice chair of the National Governors Association. He's making bipartisan policy solutions a priority. Tell us more about that meeting. Yeah, that's exactly right. The governor is, uh, he's vice chair now, but he's about to be chair. This summer he becomes chair and the chair gets the opportunity to pursue an initiative that they care about using resources of the National Governors Association. And he's chosen polarization, which is music to our ears. As you all know, we've been working on polarization challenge for a long time. And this is further proof that it's important and needs to be addressed. He's exactly the right guy to do this. In our common ground scorecard, uh, scores people on the scale of zero to 100, he scores a 99. He is the top scorer among governors in the United States. Uh, this guy is the real deal. We were really impressed with what he had to say and the thinking that is going into this. And also, the fact that he's coming to us saying, I don't have all the answers. What was your thought? Yeah, I definitely thought he was, as they say, the real deal. He told a story during the general election for the governorship in, in Utah. He actually did a what you might call a public service announcement with his opponent, his Democratic opponent. We was quick to point out that in Utah, if you win the primary for the Republican Party, then you're pretty much a shoe in for the general election because the state leans so heavily to Republicans. He talked about the fact that his observation has been that we spend a lot of money and a lot of messaging on elections and we don't leave the country better for it. We leave, often leave the country worse because the type of messaging that gets done adds to the polarization. And he felt like that was so destructive he did a public service announcement with his Democratic opponent where they basically talked about the fact that they disagree on many things, but they certainly can remain friendly and they can disagree in a friendly manner. And they both recognize that they're working for the people of the state of Utah. We at the time posted it in our social media because it was such an unusual and positive message. He just recognizes that polarization is a destructive force in the country and uh, we need to do something about it. So Spencer Cox in Utah is not the only governor who is reaching across the aisle trying to find common ground. There are a couple of other examples, at least as well, including Ned Lamont in Connecticut and Jared Polis in Colorado. So why is it that at least some governors are pretty good at being bipartisan in their approach? One of the things that governors bring to the table is they're sort of in a situation where they have to be pretty pragmatic because the nature of their job is the welfare of their state in a very direct way. When they make a decision, it has an impact on a lot of people. They're 
ability to drive change is greater, at least from a citizenry perspective, we believe, than perhaps others. I mean, others, we believe in in modeling good behavior, and that's a big element of our events. And we, we know for a fact that when people see folks in high-level positions, people they respect that model the behavior that is so important to us, a strong, positive interaction and working together to address problems, that's very effective. The difference here in what's going on with Governor Cox's initiative is that there's a, there are a number of components here. So for example, there's a public service element of this where some of the interactions that they're going to be involved in are going to involve community projects that bring people of different political perspectives together to work on something for a given community. Because that whole environment, when you're doing something positive for a group of people that are in need, is something that brings you together in ways that other mechanisms can't. So this kind of thinking that he's bringing to the table is born out of, my job is I got to get my state on the right track, prosperous, healthy, all those sorts of things that governors are charged with doing. And so he's bringing that kind of element into this initiative. Governors are chief executives. And as chief executives, they're setting a tone and they're setting a if you will, a culture for their uh, their state or their or for that matter, the country in, in how they approach working together with people across the aisle. In Congress, you know, we encourage people to behave in a common ground or bipartisan manner so that when they meet with people to craft legislation and so forth, they approach it with a more positive and uplifting attitude. But for governors or for the president, for that matter, setting the tone by demonstrating a willingness to work across the aisle, that goes a long way towards creating a a more positive environment. I think one of the things that Governor Cox is interested in is getting governors who are cross party lines to sit down together and talk about what they can do collectively to address uh, problems within the United States that are cross border to their uh, states. So I know Governor Cox wasn't the only person you met when you were in D.C. You also met with three leading players in the bridging space. David Blankenhorn, who's co-founder of Braver Angels, Keith Allred of the National Institute for Civil Discourse, and also journalist Amanda Ripley. And she's written a lot about the differences between good conflict and what she calls high conflict. What did you learn from them? First of all, it struck me that in that group, we each brought a different element to the table. So with the Braver Angels work, they're very much about the citizenry and bringing programs together where people that think differently politically, everyday citizens together to figure out how they can work through their differences and to work to find uh, points of common ground and, and an understanding of each other that richens relationships and build stronger bonds rather than tears them apart. And they're really good at that. The National Institute of Civil Discourse, led by Keith, Keith Allred, that organization is really focused on policy. I think they have 38,000 citizens that they've uh, organized, that they go to, to get an in-depth look at an issue in the trenches. They collect that information and then they bring that to policymakers and saying, look, this is how people are thinking about this. And they deliberately look at issues where 
there is opportunity for bipartisanship. So there's that policy element. And then there's the common ground committee element, which is about demonstrating what good looks like, modeling great behavior using uh, folks of note, highly respected individuals on different sides of an issue. And so there was this really rich mix. And then there's Amanda, who's an observer of all this and has a different line of, of analysis, if you will. I think perhaps the richest element of the conversation was, I would say, the creative element, where what we were doing was we were thinking about how our organizations might be able to work together, what were some of the possibilities. We had ideas for different programming we might be able to pursue that, frankly, nobody had come up with before. Eric, what's your take? Along with what Bruce said, we all recognize, and this is widely recognized within the bridging community as a whole, that the issues with polarization is not something that one organization is going to handle. Even if it's got the backing of people like Governor Cox, this is going to be an effort that's going to take many parties to participate in it and to work together. And there's there's different ways to reach different groups, different audiences, and different manners. And this is one of the things about this group that we were meeting with, having those different perspectives of presenting the ideas of repairing polarization that's existing in the United States. The opportunities for joint venture among our different groups is very significant. Last week, President Biden gave his State of the Union address. He talked about bipartisanship. His critics would say he hasn't delivered on that. What were your impressions of the address? I I was pleased that he spoke about it. I thought his opening hat tips, if you will, to the various leaders, the Speaker and the Senate and and House leaders and Congressman Jeffries, I thought that was a wonderful way to start. I think setting that kind of tone is, is so important. And, you know, we could argue about the policy side of things. I know you look at some of the things that were said, a lot of concern about how much was all this going to cost and, you know, those kinds of things, those debates, those are going to go on. But I think the importance of setting the tone can't be underestimated. There was some heckling from members of Congress, and I personally found that disappointing. I think that there is a, there's a certain dignity about that government institution that I think it's important to maintain. And I think that the decorum that the members should maintain in that kind of situation, I think, I think it's important. We just don't need the soap operas. And so I was disappointed to see that. Fortunately, I don't think that was the, the main story in the, in the speech. Many would, would disagree with me on that. But the stated willingness, I know there, there are those that are going to say, well, like you said, Richard, he says one thing and does something else. I personally am hopeful that we're going to see more bipartisanship here, not just because of the president, but because of some of the rule changes in Congress. It's a narrowly divided Congress, and you're going to see people that ordinarily would rely on their party not going to be able to do that because of the strength of the the smaller factions in both parties and the folks that we would like to call the pragmatists, if you will, as opposed to the moderates, the pragmatists are going to, we think there's going to be situations where they're going to reach across the aisle for support rather than reach to the extremes of their parties. And we think that's a good thing. How did Biden's address contrast with the response from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because she had quite a different message. She sharply criticized the Biden White House for its interest in, quote, woke fantasies. I was disappointed. And, you know, putting all the cards on the table, my own political views tend to lean right. And I wanted 
as a common grounder, I wanted a tone that said, look, we disagree on some really important issues and we're going to work with our colleagues on the other side of the aisle because it's better for the country that we're in a position where we can be constructive on the things that need to, to be accomplished. I think the president did strike that tone and I was disappointed that the Republican response was far more combative. I, I felt like it was kind of a setup for a campaign as opposed to a real response to the State of the Union. And I also understand that there is a view, and I think there's some, certainly some validity to this, that um, the president's speech was also a setup for a campaign, that he was making an effort to send the message that he was fully capable of uh, being president for another four years. And I think, though, that uh, Governor Sanders and the, and the Republican side, I think they missed the tone of the country. We just had this midterm election that basically said, let's put the crazy stuff aside and let's work on things. And I think they said, oh, that means that if we identify that, you know, those guys are actually the crazy ones, that that fits with the, the message, if you will, that came out of the election. I think they misread that. I think it would have been way better for them to be firm in their position, but demonstrating to the public that they want to work across the aisle. Bruce Bond and Eric Olson. Want to hear more podcasts from Common Ground Committee? You can go to our website and click the Listen button. We've published more than 80 episodes of Let's Find Common Ground, as well as this podcast, Our Take. I'm Richard Davies. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening.